G'day podcast pals, I'm Party Parslow and this is episode 22 of Party in China. In our last episode, I told you I was in the city of Zhongjiang, and I believed I was, as I'd seen a road sign with that name on it in English. But have just looked it up to see what else I could tell you about the place, and found that that's the name of the county, not whatever city I was in. Now this is precisely why I say that party in China is the truth, but not the whole truth, nor nothing but the truth. Most, if not all, of the time, I didn't know the whole truth, and I still don't. I do know that I was somewhere in the hills southeast of Diyang and northeast of Chengdu. I know I was in a hotel, more specifically in a rooftop restroom having just urinated in full view of dozens of people enjoying afternoon tea. A tea party with a pee party. Thank you. Deciding to deal with the psychological scarring of that embarrassing incident at another time, I returned to the ballroom where my absence had made their hearts grow fonder. Almost everybody now wanted their photo taken with me. While phones flashed, one of the local teachers, acting as stage manager, asked me, Ah, uh, what is your program? Um, my program? What is your favourite? My favourite program? Well, probably the West Wing, but... Jean and I are really loving Dexter at the moment. That just seemed to confuse her. Uh, what do you mean, program? Do you want to sing or dance? No, thank you. Do you want to sing or do you want to dance? No, thank you. But she explained that the principal insisted I perform in the two-hour Christmas extravaganza. I said I'd have to think about my act and would get back to her. What I was really thinking about was that Trevor had set me up. He'd been paid 300 yuan, cash in hand for 45 easy minutes the night before. I was only getting 200 yuan for what was already nearly three hours and I had to put on some sort of show for these hundreds of bloody people. Pulling out my phone, I typed a text in between snapshots. You stitched me up, you prick. In moments, he replied... Wow, that sounds serious. What does stitch me up mean? While continuing to hug cute kids for the camera and warmly cuddle cuter mothers for fun, I tersely texted that it had taken over an hour and a half to get there. I was required to sing and or dance sometime in the next half of a two-hour show. I was going to miss Christmas dinner in Chengdu and thanks very f***ing much. He texted back... No, man, that's not the plan at all. That's bullshit. Even the other night, she said it's close and 30 minutes. If he and John had masterminded an evil practical joke, he'd have been gloating by now. His text would be full of LOLs and LMFAOs. So I put my suspicions on hold and reminded myself of the old adage, the show must go on. In fact, it was already on. I thankfully missed most of the first act, a dance number with ten-year-olds hip-thrusting, licking their open-mouthed lips and demonstrating other inappropriate and badly synchronised sexual gestures. I quickly moved back out onto the balcony so I wouldn't have to watch the rest of it. Meanwhile, Trevor was on the phone giving the principal an earful, which was why the stage manager suddenly found me and pushed me through the crowd towards the stage, where the MC was saying, Happy, everyone! Happy! Everyone indeed seemed happy, but she was actually introducing me and thought happy was my name. 
Trev had made them bump me up the playlist so I could leave sooner. I was suddenly on stage with absolutely no preparation and a similar amount of talent. The MC smiled broadly when I told her I'd never been introduced like that before. I then wished the crowd a Merry Christmas, made them say it back, pretended I couldn't hear them, made them say it louder. You know the drill. Then, after a few words, setting the scene of a tinsel and treed living room on the night before Christmas, I launched into an a cappella version of I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. For the second time around, I encouraged everybody to sing along. But only a couple of the teachers took part on only a couple of the bits they remembered. Finishing with what I imagined was a Sinatra-esque Oh yeah! I fled the stage to reasonable applause and one excited woman who startled me by grabbing both my hands and blurting, Oh, that was wonderful! After a quick conference with the principal and a translating teacher, I was shown the door. Fine with me. But as I waited outside alone, I still wasn't sure what was going on. I was supposed to be in Chengdu by 6pm and it was already past 4 o'clock. And I had no hint whether they were going to take me straight there or home to pick up my bag. Then the door reopened and the sexiest woman in the ballroom took me by the arm and led me down the stairs. Tall, dark hair piled high above an elegant neck, dark red sheath dress tight around an elegant body. I'd noticed her as soon as I'd arrived, but as she hadn't felt the need for a photograph, this was our first contact. The prospect of an hour or two's drive in her company was very pleasing. Less so when she led me to a car with her husband behind the wheel. Still, it was nice of them to take me all the way home. Or would have been. They took me to the local bus station, paid me the promised 200 yuan, and 35 of that bought me a ticket to Chengdu. Boarding the bus, I was a novelty item. The smaller places don't see many Westerners. Other passengers smiled and nodded, pointed and laughed. One, a young woman with a small dog bulging out of an even smaller carry kennel, brought up a translation program on her smartphone and showed me the screen. What are you doing here in Zhongjiang? I honestly replied, I have no bloody idea. When that was met with a blank look, I took her phone and typed in, I don't know, which she translated for the whole bus and got a really big laugh. I'm a huge hit in Zhongjiang. They love me there. As the bus left, the rest of the passengers were intent on a movie, something with four old blokes with beards and superpowers defeating legions of evildoers. But I was more interested in the mountainous scenery, which was a pleasant change from the plain plains of Diang and which I could now enjoy since the principal wasn't driving so I was no longer afeared for my life. The bus remained on the right side of the road, as in both not wrong and not left, and about half an hour along we eased to a halt. A peak forward showed traffic stopped as far as we could see, which wasn't far, only until the next bend, and then on another bend further on. Obviously, some problem had occurred up ahead. Deciding to stretch my legs, I held my breath to get through the cloud of smokers near the bus door and followed a single file of men into the roadside forest where we all took turns pissing on the same tree. I don't know who chose that tree out of the thousands available, but it had a bad day. Nearly as bad as mine. 
In the next few hours, I discovered that my new phone had Tetris. Uh, I offered to take the neurotic dog for a walk, but his whining owner wouldn't let me. I wondered at the idiocy of drivers who, coming upon a long, halted traffic jam, think the sensible thing to do is drive up the wrong side of the road as far as possible, making it impossible for police or anybody else to get anyone moving anywhere. As there was no room on a mountainous road for three-point turns, many dozens of drivers got in lots of reversing practice and they had to avoid the brand new idiots driving up to take their turn in making things worse. I also texted Louise, the organiser of that evening's dinner, to say that I'd be late or I might not make it at all. She replied to come any time as they'd be waiting no matter how late. I was touched, until I remembered that she'd paid for me in advance. My Chinese phone remembers that Louise's reply was at 6.33pm, so we'd been supposed to meet over half an hour before for pre-dinner drinks and I was still who knows how many hours away from Chengdu. But not long after that, the traffic started moving again. A kilometre or so up the road, another coach had ploughed into an old truck on a blind curve. The truck was on the wrong side of the road with the cab completely crushed, certainly fatal. I guess he forgot to hold down his horn coming around the bend. We passed the wreck at a walking pace and surviving passengers bashed on the bus windscreen and door trying to get our driver to let them in. There were plenty of empty seats, but he never even acknowledged they were there. My fellow passengers followed his lead and looked the other way. All I could do was wave sympathetically. An hour or so later, we passed Yang. The freeway goes right past the school, which looked quite impressive, and between the Hilltop Pagoda and Juanita's Bar in the entertainment area, both of which were brightly and colourfully illuminated. At speed and at night, the Yang looked like a nice place to visit. I just didn't want to live there. Another hour or so later, we arrived in Chengdu, but at a bus station that I didn't know, in some suburb where they must not have seen Westerners very often, as a small, curious crowd followed me from the bus to the cab rank to see what wonders I'd perform. Some were cracking jokes, others offered helpful advice, as I tried speaking to the driver through his closed window. During this impromptu street performance, a man in a three-piece suit and carrying a briefcase opened the back door of my cab and got in. I hoisted him out by his collar, much to the crowd's delight, then got in the front and told the cabbie to get going. I rang Sam's guest house and had the receptionist tell him how to find his way there. By this time, I'd discovered why you had to go through the play acting of signing in at both Sam's and the big hotel next door which was called the Rong. Sam's wasn't licensed to accept foreign guests, but the Rong is too expensive for Sonny's teachers, so they had us pretend to stay there to satisfy the government's paperwork. The dinner was at Pete's Tex-Mex. For some reason, I told Trevor it was called Dirty Pedro's, but he'd found it anyway and introduced himself to the group of young English teachers. There was nothing dirty about Pete's, it was a clean, bright and friendly place. Louise had done well. She and Dobromir, also known as Dobbs, are the only two who have given me permission to write about them, so the others shall remain nameless. Dobbs is perhaps the only Bulgarian I've ever met. He looks like he's always considering something slightly more interesting than whatever you're talking about, 
and would fit in well as an extra in a Harry Potter movie, probably as a prefect or a junior master at Hogwarts. Louise is attractive and funny, sometimes scatterbrained, and the title holder at that time of my Best Bosom in Sichuan Award. Everyone else had long since finished their meal, but the waitress told me they'd kept my dinner for me, then served the dessert first, a rum cake with whipped cream. After my awful day, I wanted a drink first and ordered two Carlsbergs immediately. She brought one. I said I wanted another. She nodded and indicated that I could have another when I finished that one. I finished that one in a couple of gulps and I asked for two more. She got the idea eventually. The rest of my meal arrived in a flurry of courses. Delicious pumpkin soup, a huge salad, the finest I had in China, but nearly spoiled by being heavy-handed with the dressing, and a traditional main course of turkey, roast spuds, carrots, all the trimmings, which was almost perfect. So nearly right, it left a lingering taste of homesickness. It was a fun and funny night. Everyone laughed at my tales of misfortune, and sometime after 11, we all walked to a nearby bar, Pan Am, which was noisy and full of foreigners. Chengdu is so much more cosmopolitan than Diang. We chose an outside table to continue the conversation because the music was so loud. Our laughter helped to dispel the cold, and I demonstrated my lack of financial sense by buying a couple of pints of Guinness for Trevor and I at 60 yuan each. That's about 10 Australian dollars. I don't pay that at home. But a couple of the Brits popped downstairs to a convenience store and bought several bottles of Singdao for three yuan each. The Guinness was nice, but was it really 20 times nicer than the Qingdao? Yes. Yes, it was. After that, we pub crawled for a few more hours. I remember sitting and drinking on the hood of a Ferrari outside one bar and sitting and drinking with a live monkey inside another. He kept stealing my peanuts and ended up at some other place right on the river with tiny stools and bamboo partitions. The manager moved some bamboo to open up a mezzanine area for the honoured foreign guests, which was nice of him, but I found his establishment to be a bit too blurry for me to really relax there. Not that I was drunk or anything. When Trevor reminded me that I was supposed to teach in the Mianju Primary School that same morning, I realised I really should get some sleep and found my way back to Sam's around 4am and then proceeded to lie awake until 5.30 when the alarm went off. The perfect start to another long, strange and stupid day. In our next episode, my chaotic Christmas continues and culminates in the festive foolishness of my performance as Santa Claus at the Diang Foreign Languages School. It was ho, ho, horrible. You'll love it. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening to Party in China. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.